Wonderful worship tonight. That was probably by far one of the best communions I've ever heard. That was amazing. Somehow it was like a roast. Half of it was a roast, which was great. I loved it. Thank you for that. All right. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. It says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. God, I pray that tonight as we work through this passage that we wouldn't be working through a, a, simple, uh, a simple document of words and phrases and verbs and adjectives, but Lord, that we would be working through a love letter from you to us. That we would understand with a new clarity what you have in store for us, what you have done for us, what you're doing right now, and what awaits us, God. I pray, God, that you would allow the truth of these words to sink deeply into the fabric of our being, into our hearts and minds, that our entire beings would be consumed with this truth of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's say you have a friend. Uh, maybe it's a 
coworker, maybe it's a school classmate, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a neighbor. And this friend or classmate or family member or neighbor, they happen to be unchurched. That they don't belong to the church. That they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That they might be a a cultural Christian. They might follow the ways of uh, American Christianity in a sense, but they have no personal relationship. There's no transformation that has occurred in their lives. They, They probably wouldn't even consider themselves a Christian. Maybe you're thinking of someone right now who is fitting this description of being unchurched. But you know, the truth is maybe you at one time were also unchurched. You didn't know God as your personal Lord and Savior. You didn't know that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sins and be raised from the dead victorious. You didn't experience that life change and transformation. But at some point in your life you went from being unchurched to now here, churched. And now... As you think about that transformation that has occurred in your lives as a result of the salvation that Jesus has brought, and all of that that has happened and occurred in your life, how how maybe before you thought you were living life, but then you met Jesus like Paul on the road to Damascus, and you're blinded by the, the light of truth, and everything in the past just seems a faint shadow a gray, blurry unreality compared to the reality and truth that God brings to our lives. And now you realize such purpose and beauty in life, such calling, such a connection to God that it's like the very breath that you breathe is given by God because that's essentially what it is. How could we, after experiencing so much change and radical transformation, not want that as our deepest desire for maybe that friend or that coworker or that family member or that neighbor? You love them and care for them. And so don't you want them to have a personal relationship with our Savior more than anything in the world. Maybe tonight God's bringing someone to your mind, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member. And maybe tonight as we explore Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 in a very different way than we're used to here on Wednesdays or even Sundays, maybe you can answer a few of the questions that they might have. That they might have about maybe, well, what's sin? And why is it bad? You know, in church, we talk about these things like everyone knows what we're talking about. We talk about sanctification and righteousness and justification and salvation and redemption. And, and we sing about these things. And, but does the world outside the church know what we're actually talking about? When we say, come join our fellowship, what, what does that actually mean? Like, what, what am I getting myself into? What are these questions? I have them on the screen for you. What's sin? Why is it bad? What's with the whole Jesus on the cross thing? You know, you go to a Catholic church, Jesus is still on the cross. You see 
like a Protestant church, Jesus is not on the cross. What, what's with the whole Jesus on the cross thing in, in the beginning? Like, why and what does it mean? What, what does it mean to be made right with God? How do I do it? And what will it mean for my life? Like, who's the spirit and what does he do? But before jumping to all of these questions that uh, your friend or coworker or family member or neighbor might have, we're going to do things in order tonight. So go ahead and flip those pieces of paper over. Step one, we're going to be doing a lot in groups tonight. There's pens on the other tables where there aren't people, so you can snag those. But first, hear me out. Step one, in your groups, read aloud. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Just pick someone at your table and have them read it. Read off this translation that you have in front of you so everyone's reading the same thing. And then take note of all the words that get repeated because things that are repeated are important. Things that are repeated are important. Things that are repeated are important. Important. So what I want you to do is underline, circle, square, star, triangle, parallelogram, whatever that shape looks like. Uh, all the words that are repeated. And then make a running tally. Like, oh, body gets, gets repeated. Wait, 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 wait. That's just step one. Don't start yet. Don't start yet. <laughs> Let me just explain. And then step two, as you answer their question, your friend or neighbor or family member, Step two, as you answer their questions, cite or, or jot down. Go ahead and make a note of the verses in Romans 8, 1 through 11. Okay, I don't, I don't need you citing Ecclesiastes and showing everyone that, oh, man, I'm really smart because I've, I've read Exodus. You know, we already know you're smart. You don't have to prove it right now. But just cite verses within Romans 8, 1 through 11. Is that clear? You guys know what I mean when I say sight, right? So like, for example, who's the spirit? Well, verse 10 says dot, dot, dot. Any questions? All right, ready, go. All right, so great work, everybody. We'll bring it back together here. Good job. Uh, I want to hear from you. What, what were the uh, words and phrases that you saw repeated in this NLT translation of Romans 8, 1 through 11? What was that, Paul? Sin or sinful, good. Spirit, yeah. What? Laws, yeah. God. Christ. Death, life, control, good, good. Anything else? I know you guys just had a limited amount of time. This is uh, really good. Uh, you got the, the top dogs right there. Uh, here's a list I came up with. Repeated words, phrases, and Romans 8, 1 through 11, NLT translation. This is uh, a secret uh, ingredient that I always put into the message that, that I get to deliver here at Journey. This is the very first step that I do when I'm uh, making a, a message. I work with the text like you just did, I, but I do it on my computer and I have like these highlighter things that I can highlight all the words that are repeated. Now the beauty of this is 
it forces me to read the passage like 10 to 15 times over like you did, right? As you're searching through. And that gives you a good grip on what the passage is actually talking about. Because, well, things that are repeated are important. So here we got you or your is repeated 17 times. Sin, sin, sinners, sinful nature, 13 times. Holy Spirit, Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, which are all the, the same person, 11 times. God, 9 times. Live, lives, living, life, 9 times. Control, controlled, 7 times. And there's some other stuff too, but, but simply by a word count, it seems that our passage is concerned with you, and sin, and the Spirit, and God, and life, and control. So let's talk about your friend, maybe your neighbor, or coworker, or family member, and a few questions that they might have. And I want you, as I go through uh, the answers that I put down, I want you to check out your answers to see how they compare, and just to see uh, also the text that that I'm going to cite that maybe you cited too. So kind of have an eye on your questions and then an eye to the text as well. So the first question, what is sin and why is it bad? Do you think that sin is one of those question, or words that is kind of confined to church settings? Or do you think people outside also know what sin is? I know they have a sin nature. We all have a sin nature. But I'm just saying, like, often you don't hear about, you You know, it's not necessarily a topic of conversation. You might have to explain what sin might be. So what's sin and why is it bad? Well, according to verse 1, who put verse 1 down? Raise your hand if you put verse 1 down. No one put verse down on. All right, cool. But according to verse 1, what we know and also what we know from before chapter 8, sin brings condemnation. It brings guilt and shame. It's an anti-God state of mind. Sin is rooted in selfishness and pride. Verse 2 tells us that sin's power, it leads to death. Verse 3 says it produces weakness in us and has control over us. Verse 5 says we can be dominated by its nature as we think about sinful things. Verse 6 tells us when we let this control our minds, it leads to death. It's something, uh, that, that was one that uh, Jake, I heard him mention that verse 6, it leading to death. It's something that is always hostile to God, as verse 7 says. And we can never please God with this nature, according to verse 8. So sin is pretty bad. It's selfishness in a nutshell. If you think about any sin that maybe we commit, murder, theft, uh, adultery, whatever... If you boil it down, the very root of that is going to be selfishness, right? Well, I wanted this and I wanted it now. I didn't want them causing me frustration or trouble, so I <laughs> took care of them or whatever, you know. But that is why sin is so bad at the very root. It's selfishness and pride. 
well, what's with the whole Jesus on the cross thing? Why? What does it mean? Well, verse 3 says, God sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have, and God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. This, according to verse 4, was done so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. The law, the penalty of sin, is paid, satisfied by the righteousness of Jesus. And trusting in this, that is, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord, I know, yeah, that's still to come in Romans. It's in chapter 10. But anyways, it means, as verse 10 says, Christ lives within us. So even though our bodies will die because of sin, the Spirit gives us life because we have been made right with God. But what does that mean, to be made right with God? How do I do that, and what will it mean for my life? It means, as verse 1 says, now there is no condemnation. We couldn't do it on our own because, verse 3 says, sin produces weakness in us and has control over us. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And as verse 4 says, he did this. Keyword, he, as David Jackson talked about, God did it. It wasn't David who required or fulfilled the required justification of the law. He, God, did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. So it means, as verse 10 says, Christ lives within us. So even though our bodies will die because of sin, the Spirit gives us life. In fact, verse 11 tells us the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, get this, lives in us. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to our mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within us. It means that we don't have to be dominated by the sinful nature that verse 5 talks about, but controlled by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to let our, our sinful nature control our minds to death. But verse 6 says, we can let the Spirit control our minds to life and peace. Well, who's the Spirit? And what does he do? Well, verse 10, anyone put that one down? Verse 10 tells us he gives life. And verse 2, I just love it, how it puts it right there. It tells us that he's not only life-giving, but he's able to free us from the power of sin that leads to death. Verse 4 says, the Spirit is someone we should follow. He's the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ, according to verse 9. And he lives in us, that is, if we belong to Christ. Verses 5 and 6 tell us his way and his power leads to life. And it leads to peace. And then verse 11 says it all for me. 
that he's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power that lives in us. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. Even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. This is good news. This is great news, not only for us. How selfish would it be for us to hoard this? How spoiled this gift might be if we were just to hold it for ourselves. It's for a friend. It's a gift we've received freely to give to a friend a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, someone unchurched. As you go and live life in the spirit, in the freedom that we receive, I would challenge you to share this good news, to live this good news. Belonging to Christ Jesus is something so extravagant and powerful that we could never imagine. That this no condemnation is completely freeing. This new life, eternal salvation and transformation. As you share it with a friend or a neighbor or a coworker or a family member you know who is unchurched. I want you to remember three important things. Three things that I always try to tell myself. Number one. You don't always have to have the answers. Because most of the time you don't. I even have them on the screen so you can follow along. Right? 
You don't have to have all the answers. But you, after tonight, should know where to look. You don't have to have all the answers, but what you need to do is you need to make sure that you love them. Because I don't know anyone who has ever argued into the kingdom of God. You know, all the posts and rants we see on Facebook, that's not going to win someone for the kingdom of God. That's not going to drive them into the arms of, oh, wow, like, oh, you're right. You're right. No, come on. Jeff has always said, would you rather be right or loved? And people are not uh, forced into a relationship with Jesus. They're loved into a relationship with Jesus. And that's a beautiful part that we get to play But then also know that you never walk alone. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in you. So why are we so afraid? What's holding us back? I think about the apostles. I think about Peter. I mean, he just denied Jesus and Jesus got hung up on a cross. And his world seemed to be just completely over. I mean, everything he knew to be right and true and stable was ripped out. The foundation of everything was destroyed in a matter of a few days. His world crumbled. The the last three years of his life were just wasted, I guess. He denied Jesus not once, three times. Even though he said so valiantly, I will never deny you. Even if everyone falls away, I will never deny you. Well, you know what he did? He did deny Jesus. But then after some time, after the resurrection of Jesus, after this moment of being reconciled, Peter then goes and lights the nations on fire with the gospel. There's a moment where he goes up to someone who's sick. You know, someone who's, who's, who's hurting, who's destitute. And the person wants something from Peter, and Peter just heals him. It's like, where was that power before? Well, now it's the Holy Spirit in his life that is empowering him to, to bring healing and transformation and change. into. We have that inside of us. It wasn't that, that Peter had some special power, some special magic that is, that is different than what you and I might have. But do you believe it? Yes. Kim believes it. Ed believes it. I'm not, I, I don't, like, yeah, that's great. I, I love the verbal feedback. It doesn't really matter if you just give me a verbal feedback if your life and my life don't match up with it. I'll tell you, you know, if you've ever seen the holy uh, theological show called The Simpsons, There's a a moment, every single episode, I guess, at the very beginning, there's like the opening scene. And uh, it all has, every single scene, there's a a moment where Bart Simpson is drawing in chalk on a chalkboard. Like, I will never, you know, and it's some funny comment that changes every single episode. But it's, it's lines. I don't know if you ever had to do that in school. If you ever got in trouble, you had to write sentences or whatever it was. Well, I kind of did that in my own life when I wasn't feeling very hot on this 
on this pursuing God, pursuing Jesus, the Holy Spirit, it was one of those days when you just feel like, man, you kind of forget that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is actually living in you. And it's easy to feel like, man, the, the sinful nature just controls and it leads you to a place where you just feel like death. You feel, like we talked about last week, the walking dead. And so what did I do? I, I was like Bart Simpson. And I wrote down verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 8 until it sunk in. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Over and over I wrote that first verse. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You are the dearly loved of God. You are loved by God tremendously. You are loved by the people and pastors and leadership of this church tremendously. So there's no need to be guilty or feel shameful or to feel like you can't live out the mission that God has given you to love this world one person at a time. Maybe to reach out to that new friend, that neighbor, that coworker, and love them. Love them into a relationship with Jesus. You have the tools in front of you. You have the spirit inside of you. Now all it takes are a few simple, faithful steps. Would you pray with me? God, we don't have all the answers, but you do. There are times when it feels like we don't want to love that coworker or that neighbor, that family member or that friend. But Lord, you've loved us. How, how could we refrain from loving others? And Lord, we know that we never walk alone now with you inside of us. But I pray that we would let these words sink in. We've gone over them. We read the whole passage twice, at least. We looked at the words that were repeated. We went through these questions that maybe our friends or family members, coworkers have about you. You have prepared us for what lies ahead. We just have to be willing, God. I thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to do what had to be done, not out of any compulsion, but because you love us. So I pray that, Lord, we would be so enamored and so realizing of the love that you have given us that it would spill over into the lives of the people around us, that we would have a new urgency in our hearts to do something, to move, to not be content with how things have been, but to radically shape and transform this community, that this city is yours, Jesus, that these homes and these neighbors that we have, that they would become yours that our feet would bring the good news of hope into the lives of those who are destitute and broken and living in darkness. I thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your glorious light, and to you be glory forever and ever. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.